Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Anybody besides me had one of those weeks? Sometimes we have them. Just a lot on the plate. Let me tell My brother-in-law moved to Atlanta, and I will promise. Now my in-laws are threatening to move to Georgia. <laughs> Jeannie went back to school and I lost my summer life. I love my summer life. Oh, there's more. And, I, and I'm sure you have your own list. I was watching Andy Griffith the other day. I, I have Netflix. I pay $7.99 a month to watch Andy Griffith. That's what I like on that. And he had his guitar and he's singing an old folk song. What are you going to do when the well runs dry, honey? What are you going to do when the well runs dry, babe? What are you going to do when the well runs dry? Harry, what are you going to do? You know what he said? What did he say? What's he going to do? You were in the last, the, the last light? Sit on the bank and cry, cry, cry. <laughs> Today, let's talk about what we do when our well runs dry. You know what I'm talking about when the well runs dry? When life hurts, when you're discouraged, when you're overwhelmed. Let's pray. And so, Father, we gather in your house seeking for you to touch us and make us whole. Seeking that you would fill us and because we leak. Asking that you would restore us when we're sometimes in pieces. We all have our stories. We all have our needs. And Father, we ask that today you would help us in this journey. Because you are with us. Remind us of that. And remind us today just who you are and what you can do. Amen. I want to thank Kay Hall for planting this seed in my head. She asked me last week about this story. and I just couldn't get it out of my head. Uh, it's been just what I've needed, fuel for my fire, if you will. The story is found in Luke chapter 7. Beginning at verse 11, we see Jesus. <clears throat> Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd in the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her. And he said, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the beard, the stretcher. And the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave it to his mother. Fear seized all of them. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. I love the story. Let's break it down. It begins in verse 11 with two words soon afterward. This was right after Jesus had healed a centurion's slave. You remember that story? You can go home and read it in the first part of Luke chapter 7, the first 10 verses. The slave was close to death. 
Jesus goes to visit. The centurion sends a messenger. I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. You remember the story. Jesus speaks the word, and the slave is better. And so he did that at Capernaum. Now he and his disciples in a large crowd. It could be hundreds. Who knows how many are following Jesus after all he's done. Go to Nain. You would question, why did he do that? Why did he go to Nain? From Capernaum, Nain is 20 miles. A good day's walk. <clears throat> Let's call it a divine appointment. Jesus hiked those 20 miles to encounter this dear lady whose well had run dry. And the people that were with him, the disciples, the crowd, probably had no clue why they're going to Nain and why they're hiking, but they just wanted to be close to Jesus. So they went. He doesn't tell them. They don't have any sense of a divine appointment. They're a lot like us. They can't tell the future and they can barely interpret the present. But Jesus knows. And they leave Capernaum. Day's journey to name. An interesting note would be that when Jesus and the crowd left Capernaum for their 20 mile hike, the man who was dead was probably still living. He probably had not died yet. Jews never kept a body overnight in that time. They didn't embalm. They'd sprinkle the body, anoint the body, wrap the body in cloth, and head out to bury In a cave, if you had money, in the ground, you could do. Once death occurred, they made a funeral rapidly. It's very possible, and in fact likely, that Jesus headed to name before there was ever the need of a few. So we get to verse 12. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who died was being, being carried out. And so perfect timing. He approaches the gate of the city. Nobody knows why he's going there, yet he does. It's all planned. Exact split second timing. The man dies at the right moment. They leave the house to go out to the outskirts of town at the right moment. Jesus and the crowd get there at the right exact moment. From the human side, it's a startling coincidence. There's no such thing as a coincidence from God's it's a divine appointment. And God has every moment measured. Biblical history is filled with that kind of scheduling. And so are our lives, if we would recognize that. God's never late. The second part of verse 12 hurts to read. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from town. This one's getting sadder by the moment. She's already lost her husband. And now probably is taking her son back to the same graveyard to bury him next to him. Her only son. This is sad. In a society at the time dominated by men, she was, she was in trouble now. In Scripture, looking through the Old Testament, 
whenever the prophets talked about something that was ultimately sad, the saddest of all things, when they wanted to use a metaphor for really sad situations, you know what they used? The death of an only son. That was the greatest tragedy that could hit a family because it meant the end of the family line, the end of the future for them, perhaps. Jeremiah 6, 26. O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth, roll about in ashes, make mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. Amos did the same thing in chapter 8, verse 10. I will turn your feast into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I'll bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I'll make it like mourning for an only son. And it's end like a bitter day. Just do this later, but this makes John 3.16 mean something more than ever before that. Only for God's son. Back to the cemetery. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said, Do not weep. Now, I've done my share of funerals over the years. Hundreds, I suppose. I've never gone up to a widow burying a son and saying, Don't cry. Can you imagine trying that? It wouldn't go over so well. But this is Jesus. He's about to change the situation and turn everything upside down, or maybe better, right side up again. But he did it because it said he had compassion for her. I'm so thankful that the nature of God is to feel compassion for that situation and for yours and for me. God cares, and God's about to act. Verse 14. Then he came forward and he touched the beard, the stretcher, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Wouldn't you love to have been there to see this? I'd like to have been in the crowd to watch this. The first thing that's amazing is that they stopped for him instead of pushing him out of the way. But this was Jesus, and maybe they heard about him. I don't know, but it was unheard of for him to touch the stretcher like he did. Because if you know the law, that's unclean, and you just didn't do it. Look what Numbers says about doing this in chapter 19, verse 11. Those who touch the dead body of any human being shall be unclean seven days. <coughs> They shall purify themselves with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day they shall be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third day and on the seventh day, they'll not become clean. All who touch a corpse, the body of a human being who has died, and do not purify themselves to foul the tabernacle of the Lord, such persons shall be cut off from Israel. Since water for cleansing was not dashed on them, they remain unclean, and their uncleanness is still on. They're very serious about it. And so Jesus walks up and just touches. Nothing defiled him. As you know, he wasn't subject to any defilement, real or ritual. He just went up and touched it. He's God. He 
Then he said, Young man, I, I say to you, arise. And he did. He just spoke the word. Up pops the boy. Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and their host by the breath of his mouth. He created the world with his speech. This is not a big deal for him. He just speaks up he pops. So here's the creator who created the entire universe, having compassion. Young man, I say to you, arise. Something interesting here. Jesus leaves Capernaum, marches 20 miles, hits him at the perfect time of a divine appointment, and nobody asked him to do a thing. Do you notice that? Nobody came up to Jesus and said, look, there's a funeral here, and there's a widow, and she's buried her husband, now she's buried her We have no evidence of that happening. We just see Jesus seeing a situation and having compassion. And the interesting thing here is there's no faith whatsoever. There's no faith. The dead boy couldn't have faith to be raised from the dead. He's gone. And today you hear liars tell you that are on the healing circuit, if you just have enough faith, I don't buy that. Because I can't have enough faith to raise the dead. But God can do what he wills to do in his sovereign will. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't, and I don't understand. He didn't go into the cemetery and raise the rest of the people that we know of. He just did that one. But that's enough for me. Because I know he can. And I'm thankful that he can. The centurion had faith in the first few verses of Luke 7, but here, nothing. No request. He doesn't need your faith to do what he wants to do. It helps, but he doesn't need it. Verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to speak. I wonder what he said. I wonder what he said. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. You know, Jesus could have said, okay, you've got to go with us in the crowd now. I want you to give your testimony here. I want you on the latest circuit. He gave him back to his mother because he loves the family. And his mother needed him. Can you imagine the reunion now? And she was broken. And all of a sudden she's seen something that very few on this planet have seen. She had her son back. What a celebration they would have had. Verse 16, fear seized all of them. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. Fear is a good word for seizing them. They're thinking, you know, if he could take him and bring him up, he could take me out, because I know what I'm like. What if we just, what's just happened? And they can't get it all figured out. A great prophet has risen above. No, this is God. Verse 17 says, This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. The message went everywhere. Well, here we are 2,000 years later talking about Maine. God visiting his people. And we know that he can do anything. The blind can see lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the demons can be cast out, the dead can be raised because of 
I love it because with Jesus, all things are possible. That's why we gather. That's why we are here. As we began, why this has been fuel for my fire, I told you this week I was on call to go to Indiana to do a funeral for a toddler, baby Camille. Was not supposed to make it through last weekend. Um, and so they had a parade of four-wheelers. 26 of them rode down the road, and she got to ride in a gator and go to the creek and get in the creek. And She's been in a sterile environment her whole life, but the doctor said it doesn't matter anymore, just do what you're going to do. They quit giving her treatments. Just tried to make her comfortable with oxycodone, oxycodone, something like that, and something else. And so the grandmother said, I'll call you, and we won't do it on this day or this day, but we'll figure out the best day to do this. And told me all of the plans. And she said, next time I call you, we'll be making arrangements. And so I got a text from her to call her. So I called her, and she said, well, we don't understand it. But her blood level has gone to a normal range. The marrow is still messed up, and the leukemia is still there, but the blast cells, whatever those are, went from a horrible number to an average number after the doctors had quit treatment and after everybody had given up. Well, not everybody. Not you. And certainly not Jesus. The God of name is our God. The God that touched that stretcher and raised that boy is reaching out to us still today. Always remember that. Jack Jorah should have had a funeral three weeks ago and had a great week this week. And you hear story after story after story that's our God. Never do that.